Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, and welcome to your book, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan. Make way for the ghost of Christmas past. We've got a Christmassy archive treat. It's our live Christmas special, recorded at Albright in December 2019, with Dolly Alderton, Alyssa Evans and Aisha Malik. It's very funny, very festive, and there are some little women spoilers, so be warned. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Your Booked. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am so excited for this Christmas special because I have some of my all-time favourite writers up here alongside me. I'm so excited that I can't get into my stool. (laughs) Hooray! So I'm Daisy Buchanan, and I'm the host of the Your Booked podcast. Usually, we go into the homes of authors we love, and we interview them beside their bookshelves. Today is a little bit different. Here I have Dolly Alderton, Sunday Times columnist, host of The High Low, author of the best-selling Everything I Know About Love. She's got a novel coming out in 2020, and I am desperate to read it, so desperate that I'm trying to work out a way to hack her laptop. Um, (laughs) No luck so far, but I'm going to keep at it. We also have um, brilliant Aisha Malik, who has written lots of books. She's the author of the Sophia Khan series. She wrote one of my favorite, favorite books of 2019, uh, This Green and Pleasant Land, um, which is a very funny, very dark, but very sweet exploration of a culture clash and what it means to be English and the complicated things that happen when we start to talk about otherness. Um, That's another book that I'd recommend very strongly. Also, Alyssa Evans, the fabulous, funny, best-selling author of many books, including Old Baggage, which is one of the books that's come up the most on the podcast. I've seen that on so many shelves of our guests. Um, Alyssa is, we've not run her episode yet, but it's one of the, the funniest. And Alyssa's got one of the best. There were books that I saw on your shelf that just, you know, books that I will wonder whether I dreamed them or not, and I'm so glad that they're real. Um, but also, delighted to see you in, is it Kenneth Williams' diaries oh, yeah. you are mentioned in? Oh, wow. So that was very exciting. Bizarre, Coming in 2020. <laughs> so as it's a Christmas special, the first question I have for my fabulous panel is, what do you read to get you in the mood, to get really, really Christmassy? Dolly, I will start with you. A book that always makes me feel Christmassy is Little Women. Oh, you stole my answer. 
answer. Oh, I'm sorry. Always go first. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, But you know what? I was rereading it over the weekend, and I I do think that it has the most joyful and beautiful Christmas passage of every book, of any book that I've read, which is the scene on Christmas morning, quite early on in the book, when they wake up and they're being very excitable and bratty, as we all are on Christmas morning, and they want to kind of stuff their faces and open all their presents. And then their mum comes home, Marmy, and says, I've just been visiting these very poor people where I think there are six children and they're all frozen and they've got no food and they've got no wood for the fire and they decide to take their Christmas breakfast over as as their Christmas present. And I just think it's such a beautiful story of the joy that comes from being loving and compassionate and sharing and they end up saying it's kind of their most joyful Christmas they've ever had don't get any ideas I want to keep all my Lindor to myself (laughs) and all my presents are for me but I very much admire the March sisters for their philanthropy well famously the first line of Little Women is Christmas won't be Christmas without any presents which I was like not so Christmassy for me quite a bold choice but a strong choice now Aisha, is there anything you'd like to add about Little Women? I know there was another book that um, yeah, has come no, up. so I won't add anything about Little Women, but that is my all-time favourite to reread during Christmas, which I don't celebrate, by the way. So I'm a great guest to have on this panel. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, uh, Harry Potter, because it appeals to the to the soul, you know, um, because it's about friendship and love and good and evil and. Um, it's got lots of great food descriptions as well. Um, so yeah, Harry Potter for me. I mean, quite honestly, specifically the third one. Pizarro I would read a whole novel that's just Christmas at Hogwarts. I don't want anything yes. to happen. I want no peril, no drama. <laughs> me too. I just want that the setting of the scene. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Are there any favourite bits of Christmassy magic that you can remember? Um, no. Just putting you on the spot there. <laughs> and I did tell Daisy I don't like being put on the spot. So thank you. <laughs> That's my gift to you. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Uh, Lisa, I will ask um, you. Well, I had a big think about this because um, I, I really don't like Christmas very much. <laughs> so, you put together a terrible panel, Daisy. <laughs> <laughs> three, three weeks of bloated gloom. I don't, I, I, <laughs> and I thought that the books that I like best reading Christmas are books that make me grateful for being indoors and warm and all that so what I really love is books about people struggling through snow and ice and suffering dreadfully and (laughs) so my favourite Christmassy books are things like um, Absolute Cherry Garrard's The Worst Journey in the World which is he was on the Scott Expedition and went and 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 crossed the Antarctic during the Antarctic winter but I think my favourite of all is um, a book that I very often read at at Christmas, um, and it's by Annie Prune. It's called The Shipping News, and it's one of my favourite ever books. And it's about, um, and it, it does get vaguely Christmassy, so bear with me. It's about a, a rather lump and sad man called Coyle, um, whose uh, life is pretty disastrous. He's 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 always taken advantage of. He's got married to a woman who des- despises him. He's got two small children he adores, and his wife dies, and he decides to start again and he goes back to the place 
where his family came from, which is Newfoundland, an island off the coast of Canada, where it's freezing, where it's ice and snow, where the, the sea lashes the land. And there he starts again, and there he fits in for the first time. And it's a book about warmth, and it's about family, and it's about being freezing outside, and it's very funny. And also, it's a book that my mum used to read about once a year. So when I read it, I feel like I'm having a conversation with my mum, who's long gone. So that's my favourite Christmassy book. I do think at Christmas it's a really good time to read, you know, people in adverse circumstances dealing with hardship because that's what makes a great novel. Oh, and I, I think it, yeah. Christmas more than ever, it's when we sort of look at everyone else and everyone seems to be, you know, doing great and having a wonderful time. So I'm going to read that and remember that when I'm, you know, looking through Instagram and wondering why my tree doesn't look like the other trees. Speaking of hardship at Christmas... I've just seen an opportunity for me to jump in with my reading, Daisy. Hooray! From Rod Stewart's autobiography. <laughs> um, I was thinking... Just to check, are we going to have to give Rod Stewart any money when this is on the podcast? <laughs> oh, God, I don't... I mean, the amount of blood... All I do is talk about Rod Stewart publicly, so frankly, he should be giving me royalties. Um, so this is from his... Uh, from the section near the end uh, where he's talking about life now after he met Penny Lancaster. And he's talking about all his ex-wives, of which there are a lot. And he has lots of children with all these women. Relations between us all have been so stable that in 2000, we felt close enough, at my suggestion, to hold a big family Christmas. It took place at Celtic House. Christmas dinner for all the children, Alana, Kelly, Rachel, and Penny. So that's his ex-wives and his current girlfriend, whom I'd only been seeing for a few months, and for whom this must have been uniquely a uniquely terrifying experience, thrust into a room with the three variously formidable mothers of her new partner's children, who'd never been together in this way and in the volatile circumstances of Christmas too. There was some competitive turkey cooking in the kitchen. This bit's quite weird. It was generally agreed that Alana's turkey turned out best. So they all cooked their own separate turkeys, competitively, like ready, steady, cook. While Rachel had ruined hers by throwing it at every single herb she could find. Kelly did the roast potatoes and the sprouts. Penny, very cannily, stood back and let them get on with it. Everybody got along well enough, and the children, of course, loved it. Was it the kind of Christmas that adults in the party would choose to have every year? Perhaps not. Have we done it again since? No. <laughs> but I was able to look around the room during that afternoon and cast my eyes from one face to the next and think to myself, okay, maybe you, would, you wouldn't have sat down and planned it this way and Lord knows there, were enough, there was enough grief and strife along the road, but in a profound and unshakable way, this family is a unit and it works. I do have a Christmassy reading with me, actually. Shall I, do you want me to do that now? Or Ooh. do you want to move on? Let's go for it. Because <laughs> it's, an it's an antidote to that. Because there, there was nice, nice sense of balance on this panel, at least. <laughs> it's a very simple uh, story. There was a book that I read and reread as a child uh, called A Country Child uh, by Alice Nutley, who later on wrote things like Sam Pig and that kind of thing. But she grew up on a farm uh, in Derbyshire as an only child. And it was a very simple life, and, and she was she was well looked after. They, were, they weren't short of money, but it was very basic. And I used to love reading, and this is perhaps why I don't like Christmas, because my Christmas is never anything like the Christmases I read about in books. I'm going to guess that this isn't someone who's having to eat four different kinds of turkey. It's, it isn't indeed. It's, got, it's her opening her stocking in the dark um, in her own little room in a Derbyshire farm in about uh, 1900. 
She, she pinched the stocking from the toe to the top where her white suspender tapes were stitched. It was full of nice knobs and lumps and a flat thing like a book stuck out the top. She drew it out. It was a book, just what she wanted most. She sniffed at it and liked the smell of the cardboard back, like the smell of the cardboard back with deep letters cut in it. She ran her fingers along like a blind man and could not read the title, but there were three words in it. Next came an apple with its sweet, sharp odour. She recognised it, a yellow one from the apple chamber and from her favourite tree. She took a bite with her strong white little teeth and crunched it in the dark. Next came a curious thing, pointed and spiked with battlements like a tower. Whatever could it be? It was smooth like ivory and shone even in the dark. She ran her fingers round the little rim and found a knob. She gave it a tug and a ribbon flew out. It was a tape measure to measure a thousand things. The tree's girths, the tree's girths, the calf's nose, the pony's tail. She put it on her knee and continued her search. There was a tin ball that unscrewed and was filled with comfits and an orange and a sugar mouse, a sugar watch with a paper face and a chain of coloured ribbon, a doll's chair and a penny china doll with a round smooth head. Um, finally, there were walnuts smelling of the orchards at Bird in Bush Farm and a silver shilling, the only one she ever got in very great wealth. That's it. Sweet, isn't it? Sweet, isn't it? I think, think you really are beautiful. quite Christmassy. <laughs> Or you will be by the end of this panel. Never like that, you know. It was, it was. Yeah, I don't know. You know what ordinary family Christmas is like? Children shouting at each other and sort of competitive stocking opening. But when you were say nine or ten, and you were—I don't know if you had stockings or not—but if you found gifts at the end of the bed and you pulled out a book and it was just what you wanted most in the world, what would that book have been? Oh, gosh, I love books so much. It's too hard for me to say. A book with, with, in which ordinary children stumble across magic. That was always my favourite sort of book. Oh, so maybe a bit of Evie Nesbitt or Inesbitt. Oh. Have I given her an extra B? <laughs> Inesbitt, yes. Yeah, she was, also, she was a Belinda. <laughs> um, Aisha Dolly, same question. In your present acquiring youth, at a time when you were too small to, to be polite about gifts and you reacted to them very strongly, you pull a book out of your stocking or, or wherever presents are kept, what do you most want to see on the cover? Well, um, my family never celebrated Christmas, so this is a sad All question. Right. Well, it's your birthday. No, no. Oh, okay, no, no, I'm joking. Because actually, I think my parents used to feel so sorry for us that we didn't celebrate Christmas because we were Muslim. Not were Muslim, we still are. Um, <laughs> I, I did used to actually get presents because I was a bit spoiled. This is sounding quite a lot like <laughs> celebrating Christmas to me. <laughs> yeah, do we, do we not? I mean, I'm, I'm still not quite sure. Um, and I remember my dad got me um, a copy of all the Disney cartoon stories, a collection of Cinderella, Lady and the Tramp, Dumbo, and I loved it so much. Oh, so were they illustrated? Yeah, they were illustrated, and I remember I used to, as a, as a child, I used to sit down and I used to rewrite the stories by hand because I had no imagination of my own, so I just copied <laughs> Disney stories. It was really sweet. I was a really sad child. <laughs> Oh, hang on. So you weren't adding to that. You were just writing. No, it's a, co it's a comprehension exercise. Yes, yes. Exactly, yeah. I bet you had beautiful handwriting. No, it was shit. <laughs> I did try, though. Um, I think mine would have been uh, the official Spice Girls <laughs> fan club book. Uh, or I remember being very excited and specifically requesting. There was a magazine called Girl Talk. 
I remember Girl Talk. Did you have the first issue, the choker, the black choker with the silver flower? Yes, I did. <laughs> and there were all those posters that you would get inside that were basically a million different variations of a bunny with a flower on its head. Yes. And I loved that. And I remember they brought out like an anthology that I definitely would ask for every year that was basically just a hard copy of, of lots of bunnies with lots of meadows on their heads. And I just, it made me so happy. So I think that probably would have been my favourite books to open at Christmas. I remember once in my stocking, and now I look back on it and think, this is kind of a creepy book, but I love that book so much, and I still do. Um, and I can't remember the author, um, so if anyone wants to shout it out, um, Daddy Longlegs, which they made a oh, film of. Oh, that's a great book. Um, and I had this, do you remember who wrote it? No. You're going to say it and I'm going to, um, but it was this green kind of linen cover. And I also got this really, oh, I had a real, I don't know why, because they're not a child-friendly sweet. I was odd. Um, but these bonbons, you know the toffee ones, they've got loads of icing sugar on them. And having this really, really beautiful book and ruining it by getting it covered in like bonbon <laughs> dust. But it's all about this, orphan Jerisha Abbott and she is living at the horrible orphanage the John Greer home isn't it weird how I can remember that and not who bloody wrote it um <laughs> and when she's 17 she is sent to a like a fancy sort of private ladies college in the east coast somewhere in Massachusetts um by a mysterious benefactor and she doesn't know who and I'm not going to tell you because it's a bit of a spoiler but the but the end of the book is Really, really, I was transported by the story. Problematic when you look at it with 2019 oh eyes. Oh boy, is it problematic when you look at it now? <laughs> yes, it really is. But <laughs> it's all about her making her way in the world and having independence for the first time. And she's got an allowance and it's not as much as the other girls, but it's like riches to her. And she has her own room and she can't believe it. And there's a part where she uses her... She has, I think it's a chest of drawers and she makes it into this window seat by pulling out all the drawers and climbing up with books. And she can watch the snow falling out of the window. And I have broken so much furniture and I've... <laughs> hurt so many limbs <laughs> no chest of drawers can bear my weight and that is my tragedy I love a mysterious benefactor story uh, and I think that's one of the reasons I like Little Women because there's that lovely Mr Lawrence next mm. door who throws her a piano and to this day I'm still waiting for my mysterious benefactor to the point that there was a period of my life in my early 20s where I just like constantly had three pounds in my, in my NatWest current account where if I saw a number come up that I didn't know, I was like, it's the lawyer of a mysterious benefactor. <laughs> and I would pick up and I'd be like, hello, just waiting for someone to say, did you know of an elderly man called Mr. Greenfield? And I would say no. And he'd say, well... He knows of you, and he's been a great admirer of your work for many years. He would like you to have his house in Cheney Walk. <laughs> Where is it? I, I it was NatWest, West. A, a, a similar fantasy when, when in, my, in my language lessons at school, for some reason, somebody had put a, a series of um, posters of Italian castellos around the wall, and there was one called the Castello de Montsolis, and I had... I had a dream during German, which is why I didn't <laughs> learn any German at all, <laughs> that I would get a, a letter saying, you've been left 
the Castello de Monsolis. <laughs> and I, I used to dream walking along the... the, the, the it's ridiculous. I still feel somewhere, it's mine. Yes, <laughs> yes. Sometimes I just, like, on low days, treat myself to those, like, fantasies. Just three minutes. I just, I just imagine the phone call or the letter. Well, do you know there's a Dorothy Parker short story I love, and it's either called The Cost of Living or The Price of Living, but it's about that these two girls do that they spend the whole lunch hour walking around Manhattan fantasizing and playing this game. It's like, say, there's this old man, you don't know him, he's just seen you around, not in a weird way, but just thought, oh, you know, someone should do something nice to that girl. She seems lovely. And he <laughs> dies peacefully in his sleep, leaving her a million dollars. It's always for no reason. I can never think of a reason why they want to give me everything. But it's like a def it's a legitimate reason, but I just don't know why. I, well, I often think if I came into money, this is way off the book chat, but one of the things I'd really like to do is I would go round, I'd log into on John Lewis, I'd try and hack into people's wedding lists and I'd buy the most expensive thing for everyone and never I'd just be like, you know, good luck, lots of love. But I'd never say what they'd never know. They'd be like, What was that? I, I love that. And that is actually very crazy. Christmassy behaviour. All right, you can, let's bring it back to Christmas and books. Um, I'm good. I'm giving you all an unlimited budget, and you have to buy. You can buy a book for every single person, you know, in the country or in the world. But it has got to be the same book, and it can't be your books. <laughs> can you imagine that would be like when Chris Rea went on Desert Island Discs, and every song he chose was his own songs. Every song. Every single one. <laughs> because he got money. When they <laughs> so what, what, are you, what, what book are you buying for the world for Christmas or winter time? This wasn't on my list. No, just something I thought of. Stumped, yeah. So <laughs> I've stumped you all. You, you start, Aisha. Oh, no. <laughs> um, you start, Dolly. Um, I get everyone any human heart because... Correct response. <laughs> um, because I think it's perfect for winter because it's so absorbing and it covers more than any other book I've ever read the whole spectrum of a human life. And I th I've never read a book that so accurately and evocatively and movingly takes a kind of stab at what it must be like to live a whole life from start to finish. Um, and I just find that such a, a moving thing to experience. So I think it's like the best book ever written, but also just a perfect winter book. I've decided I would um, send everyone the non-fiction book by Susan Cain called Quiet, so that everyone just shut up. <laughs> a, and B, because it's a book... Um, solely for introverts um, living in an extroverted world and because being an introvert myself, it's quite, as you can tell, um, it's, um, it spoke to my soul and it was very nice to have a book that was, just that was just written for people who suffer from introversion in an extroverted world and also how to cope in a professional setting, in a social setting and how to embrace it um, rather than become a part of the whole product of extroversion. There we are. Both excellent answers. Lisa. Okay, I'm going to go for a short novel. It's almost a novella, really, called uh, A Month in the Country by J.L. Carr, uh, which I think is more or less a perfect book. I talked about it for a podcast uh, two or three years ago, and before we started 
the podcast, I said, does anybody know how long this book is? And, and <laughs> we checked, and it's 20,000 words, and yet it has everything in it. It starts with a young man getting off a train in Yorkshire. It's the end of the First World War. He's got sort of twitch from his time in the trenches. He's there in this Yorkshire town to exercise his craft, which is uncovering wall paintings. And the local church has got a wall painting that has been painted over, and he's there to uncover it. And in the next field is, is a man who's doing an archaeological dig. And it's the same thing. He's another war veteran. And over the course of three months, our hero um, falls in love, falls out of love, rediscovers himself, finds how to live again, and also uncovers this extraordinary wall painting. It's, it's, it's a, as much as anything else, it's a book about craftsmanship and about art. And it's completely satisfying, completely wonderful. And then, then he leaves. It's almost the antithesis of any human art. It's a t- <laughs> the tiny snapshot of a life, but just so readable and so gorgeous. Also, in 20,000 words, I now want to read that. Yes. As someone who's oh. such an overwriter, that's such a skill, isn't it? To... Amazing. It's a wonderful book. I don't know anybody who hasn't liked it. So there we go. That's my and tip. I imagine a great book to give to the world if you know there are reluctant readers who I think I sometimes feel really daunted by a big book. So you know that's it's like knowing a film is under 90 minutes. Like yes, yeah. I will go to that. Yeah. I can invest that much. Um, I did want to talk to you all about food in books and anything that you people eat in books that you like to eat in the winter. I just have a really steady diet of Nutella. <laughs> and actually, I don't think there's any book that's been written that really celebrates Nutella in the way that it should be celebrated. <laughs> there's a gap in the market there, babe, for you. Next book. Um, I remember when I was little, my mum used to read me the Millie Molly Mandy stories. Oh. Yeah, and I remember that we, I remember reading them in the winter, and I remember reading about potato lids, which were baked potatoes with uh, the top cut, my mouth is going to start watering, <laughs> and then all the potatoes scooped out and then mashed with cheese and butter and then put back into the potato with the lid put on. And we put have in the that oven. virtually every weekend. Yeah, it's a kid's <laughs> favourite. Go yeah, round so listeners and have, have some lids. Yeah, can I come live at your house? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I got a, I, I was thinking about this and there's a fantastic bit in What Katie Did at School. I was a real What Katie Did fan. And in What Katie Did at School, she, Katie, who by the second book is an absolutely perfect pain, really, but never <laughs> left. She goes to a boarding school with her mate, with her sister Clover. And um, they're all snowed in in winter and none of the Christmas parcels get through apart from Katie's family's uh, sent two boxes and they get through. And there's a wonderful description of what's in the box. But the, what used to really strike me as somebody who likes their, likes their grub was the, with the passage, the top of the box was mostly taken up with four square paper boxes. Each box held a different type of cake. One was of jumbles, another of ginger snaps, a third of crullers, and the fourth contained a big square loaf of frosted plum cake with a circle of sugar almonds set in the frosting. What I wanted was crullers. I had no idea what they are, <laughs> but by God, I wanted crullers. And I've looked them up, and they're, they're kind of fried pastry twists. Have you yeah, had them? Yeah. Sort of dusted with icing sugar. So crullers, jumbles brandy snaps. That's what I required. Kind Ooh. of underwhelming, though, aren't they, in the end? Crullers. I, th- I think everything that you've I'm imagined, <laughs> you know, what it could never live up to what you hoped it would be in your head. But oh my goodness, there is nothing more satisfying than not just delicious food, but food you're unpacking in a box. It's food. It's a present. It's not necessarily Christmassy, but one of my favourite food bits in any book is um, in. 
I think it must be in the first Bridget Jones book where, because she's going out with Daniel Cleaver at the time and having Jude and Shaz around and they always have many bottles of Chardonnay, whole boxes of dairy milk, M&S salmon pinwheels, um, lots of like a full sort of like M&S luxury convenience food, buffalo, everything in the chiller cabinet. And I've always, having, you know, and I shouldn't complain, but, you know, having a mother who sort of likes to make things and abhors convenience food, my, part of my grown-up fantasy Christmas was, you know, all of the, all of the frozen canapes. Yeah. <laughs> Daisy and I often bond over things that we love about the 90s, uh, one of which is pine nuts. They, you can't overuse the pine nut. In Something my happened to pine nuts, though. They're just not chic anymore. You don't see pine nuts anywhere. But we you don't go see back. pine nuts anywhere because they're all in my cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> we want to go back to the nineties. We want to wear lilac. We want to shop in Agnes B. We want to listen to a bit of wet, 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 <laughs> and eat and some yeah. pine nuts. <laughs> hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. We'll be back to Dolly, Aisha and Lissa soon, but now it's time for my festive steal of the week. Guard it with your life or it will go faster than the purple quality streets. This week I've chosen a Christmassy book that I adore by one of my favourite writers and a former guest. It's An Almost Perfect Christmas by Nina Stibby. It's a collection of essays and short stories about playlist politics, the pain of having Santa for a stepfather and the do's and don'ts of Christmas dinner. Don't name your turkey while it is still alive. Do have a go at defrosting it with a Phillips hairdryer. That's An Almost Perfect Christmas by Nina Stibby, published by Viking and out now. Now back to our guests. Christmas, or, you know, this period, a lot of time with very close friends and family, that can be the best of times and that can be the worst of times, to use a very clunky literary illusion. You need to get someone in your house off your back for a few days. What book do you give them? For me, the book that uh, I think is the most absorbing that I've probably ever read, and I read it during quite a tough time in my life, and then I lent it to my 
sister who is very, very highbrow, and she wouldn't even answer the phone for three days because she was reading it, is a book by Stephen King called 221163, and it is phenomenal. It's not one of his horror ones. It's um, a book... Basically, somebody tries to go back in time to stop JFK being killed. It sounds completely mad. But it is fantastic. If you want to push the world away, if you're going through you know, difficult time or hospital tests or anything like this, read 221163 because it's absolutely brilliant. So that's my tip. I'll definitely buy that. I've never even heard of that book. And I love... You know, because I really like Stephen King as a writer, and I, I love his early work. But no, I'm not <laughs> wild about horror. So non-scary Stephen King, right up my alley. Tension. Yeah. Um, my family doesn't really read. True story. <laughs> True story. Um, they don't really read, but if they did, I mean, it took my mum a year to read my first book, and even after that, she was like, "It was okay." <laughs> Tough crowd. Um, But I did once give my sister um, a book called How to Kill Your Husband. And she enjoyed that thoroughly. Maybe got a few tips. What's it about? Is it a novel or a manual? I think it's a kind of manual come novel type thing. It was quite a few years ago now, but she enjoyed it very much. Is it funny or just very macabre? He's still alive. (laughs) So obviously wasn't as useful as it was meant to be. Four out of five stars. Yeah. Three Producer Dale is currently quaking in his boots at the back <laughs> of the room. Um, I have to say, my mum's a massive bookworm, but my dad doesn't read. My dad has read one book in his entire life, and that's Michael Heseltine's autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually went on holiday with my parents this summer, um, just the three of us, and we haven't done that for 12 years, and it was joyous and also quite trying and I did have a moment of like maybe it would be nice to give my mum a book so she can sit on a deck chair and enjoy the view for a couple of days rather than asking me what we're going to (laughs) eat basically the minute that we're eating something what are we going to eat next Um, and I gave her one day and she started which she and I was like before I gave it to her I was like do you know what happens in this book? And she's like, no, I'm so excited. And I was like, have you watched the film? She's like, no, can't wait. So then it was this horrible like bomb about to blow up. And I, I actually like, because I'm so cruel, kind of live tweeted the whole thing. Uh, where She started at, na- at nine o'clock in the morning and throughout the day, she was just so blissfully happy. And I remember at one point she was like, God, what a love story. What a fun read. And then I remember at one point she went, oh, went, what? And she said, he just said that he loved her in the maze. I was like, oh. Okay. <laughs> and she was like, that was heavy going. I was like, yeah. And then I literally was like, what page you on? And I just, I was just sat there and I just knew that she was going to fall apart. And then she did exactly what every other person who's ever read One Day did, where she just, she kind of gasped and then just burst into tears and then put the book down. And then she cried for 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I know. Dolly Alderton made her mum cry at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and it That's didn't even <laughs> like, distract her for a long period because she kept checking in and you know, yeah, narrating yeah, the book back exactly. to you. Exactly. But that was one of those books, and everyone I know who's read that book is like, you read it in a day or, or two days because it's just those characters are so gorgeous and that plot is so... Um, cinematic so yeah that's what I'd give to a troublesome family There's member a book I adore called Dear Mrs Bird by AJ Pierce I think it came out maybe last year um, this isn't festive um, but with lots of old university pals we went on holiday to Cyprus and everyone is 
in the book world in some way. So we had our WhatsApp group and we all planned our reading and made sure everyone's going to take a different book. We're all taking books we want to read to kind of really maximise baggage space. And someone brought Dear Mrs. Bird. But I think I'd been sent the hardback. And then my friend said, oh, I've got a proof. It's lighter. Don't bring the hardback. We can all read it. So we were passing this book around. Um, that if you've not read it, it's about a very ambitious sort of girl who it's the second world war she really 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 desperately wants to be a journalist and she sees this amazing job advertised where she can go and work for a magazine and you know it's what she wants the most in the world she's really desperate to help the like the war effort but can't really do much because of you know systematic sexism um but i think she's a maybe a re not a wren but she's doing you know she's volunteering um gets the job but it's not doing any kind of journalism. She's the assistant to the agony aunt who also runs the magazine, the formidable Mrs. Bird, who makes it her life's mission to keep unpleasantness out of the agony aunt column. So it's the Second World War. So everyone is saying, I'm pregnant because I had a thing with someone in a bomb shelter or, you know, my GI lover has gone back to America or I'm really depressed and anxious because there's a war on and, you know, sex and mental health, it's a no-go. So she starts answering these letters in secret and it becomes quite clear that Mrs. Bird isn't even bothering to read her own column. So, you know, she is able to get away with it, but not indefinitely. But there's an incredibly sad bit and I just remember sobbing and, you know, being like in a bikini on a towel and having nothing and having to blow my nose on the towel. And then... <laughs> But we were all sat around the pool and over the course of about two days from different places, you'd suddenly hear someone go, ah! <laughs> and um, yeah, we had to get new towels. <laughs> so characters in books that you love and hate, who do you want to invite round for a bit of turkey, mince pies, mulled wine? Who are you going to hide from if they knock at the door, you turn the lights off and you're behind the sofa? Amy and Little Women. Book burner. Book <laughs> burner. Amy can come round with applause she's never that. getting in. That's, my, that's, that's the person I hate most in all literature. She's really? Wow. She burned Joe's book. She burned Joe's it's, book. It is shitty. You're right. One copy. I know. Anyway, You're that's right. <laughs> Why do I love that book so much? You're right. <laughs> but I do think... You know, this because you think, you know, oh, sisters, they love each other. I wrote, I've got five younger sisters. Um, I wrote a book about this, The Sisterhood. And, um, you know, it's supposed to be all sweet and kind and loving. But no, you you can do, you. I mean, you shouldn't do that to your sisters, but you do. You know what's going to hurt each other the most in the world. And you can push each other's buttons. But I don't blame you um, for excluding her from the celebrations. But I thought who I'd invite. I'm going to invite for my Christmas dinner the whole of uh, the inhabitants of Cold Comfort Farm. Oh, I thought, oh, yeah. well, well, come on, wouldn't it be brilliant? You'd have everything. You'd have drama, you'd have a bit of sex, you'd have passion, <laughs> you'd have Adam Lambsbreath cleaning the <laughs> pans with his thorny twig afterwards. It would, be, it would be so much more interesting than the average Christmas dinner. So that was like Flora would be one of those dreamy guests yeah. who comes with like two cases of champagne yeah. and sort of, you know, pots yeah. of truffles and things. Like, no, don't worry, darling, I've got this new, you know... <laughs> In a blaze of sequins. and <laughs> Yes, she'd be perfect. Capable and glamorous. Uh, 
Um, I would invite... Now, it's really hard to write um, characters in books who are good and nice but still interesting. But I think Marilyn Robinson does that in Gilead with John Ames. And I love him so much. The Reverend. Yeah, I love him so much. I'd so invite him. I just want to cook for him. And I can't even cook. (laughs) So he'd get a salad, probably. (laughs) A complicated salad, maybe. Um, And I would shut the door on uh, Mary Poppins because, well... Cold, bitch. <laughs> I and was so <laughs> upset when I read the book of Mary Poppins. I can't even tell you. Yeah, and also Fanny Price because I recently reread Mansfield Park, and she's a bit of a wet blanket. Oh, she's wet. Yeah, yeah, she's such a wet blanket. Yeah. I am a Fanny Price apologist, and yeah. I know that's not a popular position to be in, <laughs> but I yeah, will no. argue this out with you. Yeah. Yes, no. I because also, could you, of all the people to shut out, who would take it more badly than Fanny Price? She oh, is very poor, vulnerable. Oh, I'm such a cow, aren't I? I am Mary Poppins, aren't I? <laughs> I'd shut myself out. And you know, she'd be the one who would be, you know, while everybody at the Christmas dinner was being a self-absorbed nightmare, Fanny Price would be there just feeling terrible about everything and trying and failing to manage everyone's emotions. So maybe it's better for her that she doesn't have to endure <laughs> oh, that. Oh, made me feel really... Bad now. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, oh, Fanny. Oh, like, yeah, d- l- shall we play charades? Oh, no, we can't. We can't because it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it was a different time. <laughs> um, I think I would shut the door on Mr. Darcy um, just because he's a pompous, patronising mansplainer. <laughs> um, He'd give everyone Lincoln in the bar day, wouldn't he? <laughs> I love that book. <laughs> He'd just be miserable and I just really hate Mr. Stars. This is like a whole other TED talk that I should do <laughs> another time. Um, and I would love to invite in not so much a character, but kind of a character with open arms, David Sedaris and Hugh. Oh, that's a perfect one. We should talk about the Santa Land Diaries, which have we all read? Um, David Sedaris' essay about his time working in Macy's as a Christmas elf. I haven't read that yet, and I'm desperate to. I've I've come to David Sedaris so late in life. I've only discovered him in the last kind of year, and he's been my highlight of 2019, if not the entire decade. Um, but everything that I hear about his partnership with Hugh, I'm incredibly nosy about people's relationships, and they strike me as the kind of couple that would kind of detail everything about their worst arguments they've ever had. So I would just ply them with so much alcohol and listen intently. The very end of Santa Land Diaries, uh, may I swear, would anyone be very upset if I dropped a big old (laughs) F-bomb? So it's been a stressful time at Macy's and David Sedaris is about to collect his final paycheck and go home. And he's trying to say goodbye to his manager. And his manager is having a fight at customer services with a woman who has had a disappointing experience at Macy's. And um, the manager is saying, fine, fine, go to my boss, but don't tell him I called you a bitch. Tell him I called you a fucking bitch because that's what you are. (laughs) (laughs) So would you put up with Mr. Darcy for the house? Pemberley. It's um, a big house. You can hide from him. That's a healthy relationship, eh? How to kill your husband. That's a good idea. If you gave me that book, then you I could, could hang out with Pemberley. You wing. I mean, it's not a question of, you know, just retreating to your room. <laughs> just thought. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe I would. I mean, 
Given the London property, yeah, yeah, I think I would. Yeah, yeah, fair. <laughs> I'm glad you have principles. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I suppose also, what's I can't imagine Mr. Darcy being dramatic. You know, he'd be quite sort of self. Maybe he's a little bit, you know, like don't look at me. I'm shy. Don't look at me. I'm in a bad mood while making everyone look at him. But he's not, you know, too. I think you could probably ignore him more easily than other people. Maybe not. Not like you know Heathcliff. I think is just full on mad. Um, I actually was involved in a debate at Cheltenham Literary Festival. Uh, mm. <laughs> this is like the only room and the only platform where I can say this and not be totally cringed out. Uh, where <laughs> Sebastian Fawkes and I uh, argued that um, Mr. Darcy was more of a shit than Heathcliff, but ultimately we lost. What would the room say? Who's the biggest shit, Heathcliff or Darcy? Heathcliff. Heathcliff. Well, because also, Mr. Darcy, for all of his faults, I think he's very, he's kind in a really practical way about Lydia. And I don't think Heathcliff is, you know, he's, he's there when it matters. I doubt Mr. Darcy would dig up um, Elizabeth's corpse. Um, I, it's just a thought. No, he's too boring, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you want in a man, someone who'll dig up your corpse. A bit, a bit of get die. up and go, do you know what I mean, ladies? <laughs> so... Let's flash forward to the end of the month. I'm sorry to do this to you all, but it's time for resolutions chat. Do you have any reading resolutions for 2019? Um, I've quoted Proust at the sorry, beginning. 2020. Did you say 2019? I did say 2019. <laughs> or any reading resolutions that you made in 2019 that you kept or did not keep? For next year, I've quoted Proust at the front of my novel, that's coming out in 2020, which I think... Is that because he's out of copyright? <laughs> <laughs> you know me so well. The long battle that I had with quoting one bloody Smith song, bloody Morrissey. Um, no, th I've quoted that at the front, and that basically means I have to read some fucking Proust now. I've just read the first two because I'm doing a podcast on Proust next Wednesday. Oh, Round of applause yeah, for Lisa. You're my heroine. You're going to yeah, save um, me. I'd say the first one was, was, was bearable, and the second one, I just felt as... You know Marley in the chains? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just felt by page 590, whatever, that I was dragging an entire plot along with me. Um, I don't think I'll be reading from three onwards. But I could whip through. I could whip through round one. <laughs> Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I just think that if you're quoting a, a really heavyweight writer at the front of your book, you have to have read a bit. Yeah, I do think so. What did you quote? Um, it is uh, it is our imagination that is responsible for love and not the other person. I mean, he's a clever fucker, isn't he? Clever, clever fucker. <laughs> Might read him. I thought you were going to say... Mine. And I was like, yeah, do you know what? You don't need to read Proust. You can just read my book that has a sentence with him at the front. Because that means he will have technically read Proust. Yeah, exactly. Um, what was the question again? Oh, yeah, reading resolutions, which you didn't... Oh, is that your resolution, to read I've Proust? I've got to read Proust, yeah. yeah. Um, I am really bad at abandoning books that I'm not enjoying. I feel like I have to get to the end, and one of these days I want to be the type of person that can just give up without feeling bad about it, so that's what I think I'll do in 2020. Are there any books that you've wished you've given up on in places and then got to the end and been glad you did? D um, 
Uh, Handsmade Tale. Ah! I read that when, oh, quite a few years ago now, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And um, I found it really, really hard going until three quarters of the way in. And I was like, oh, this is quite good, isn't it? <laughs> she's not Maggie. That much, yeah, she's not that bad. Um, and actually, I'm glad I didn't give that up. Did you read the Testaments? Or are you no. going to? No, I am going to, yeah, at some point. I mean, that's something that I was. Um, not sure if I can say this. I I think a, a disappointment for me in 2019. It was it was fun. It was great, but it was a bit too. I don't think it was as dark as it needed to be. But maybe given that because real life is so dark, maybe it couldn't be. But I felt very strongly that because um, I loved Girl, Woman, Other, and I think that you know Bernadine Evaristo should not have had to share that prize. That is the yeah. my hobby horse of the year, and I'm sticking to it. But it's unrelated. <laughs> To be fair, I think Margaret Atwood wrote the Testaments hoping everyone would say it's fun. <laughs> A romp! <laughs> uh, my resolution. My resolution is the same as the last about five or six years, and that's to read Ulysses. So um, I, I think you ask me again in a year and it'll be the same resolution. I've, I've still just not quite managed it. Are yeah. you going to pick up where you left off or do you start anew every time? Um, no, I start anew every time. But the book that I'm really looking forward to this year is um, the Hilary Mantel, The Mirror and the Light. Oh, God, I'm looking forward to that. And I'm going to reread the other two before, before it comes so out. So is that part of the Wolf Hall yeah. world? I mean, I held out on Wolf Hall for ages. And then I started reading it a couple of years ago. I thought, why did why not I read this? And I loved it so much. I loved it so much that as I was reading it, it felt like a lovely job. And I thought, oh, I could be happy to go and read Wolf Hall every day. You know, that, that's my job. And it was just, I was overwhelmed by it. Because I've, I've loved Hilary Mantel for a long time, but I have to say, and this is, you know, a writer talks, I don't think she can do plot. I really don't. A lot of her early books are wonderfully written, but they've often the end is all over the place. Or the, Anyway, I find them frustrating. But because she's got a plot... She's been given a plot for Wolf Hall. It's based on a real person. I think it's just magnificent. I think it's, 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 it's used all her, her, her finest talents. You know, she's able to utilise that genius. Oh, she's hitting her marks. Because mm. I feel ashamed of that I've never read Wolf oh, Hall. God, and whenever so it comes yeah. up, I go, mm, yeah, Wolf Hall, very good. It's, um, I mean, it's, story, it's story after story. It's a <coughs> wonderful story. I mean, it's fantastic. And they don't spend too much time saying, it was Tudor time, so everything smelled of dung, no. and going to the toilet was out of the window. <laughs> Do you know what it feels? It feels contemporary, not in that it's a contemporary book, but it f feels as if you are there. It's not looking back; you are you are there in in that world. So they don't have to. People in wartime books don't shouldn't go around saying, "Oh, it was a bake light switch." You know, it's, you're you're there. You only notice the things that are worth noticing. I tried to run, but there was no elastic, so my clothes were constricting me. <laughs> David Nichols talks about that kind of writing because um, Sweet Sorrow was set in the 90s mm. and he said he wanted to avoid um, space hopper writing. Mm. And I think it is, it is such a temptation, isn't it, to kind of constantly root your reader into exactly where you are, but it actually just jolts you out of it so quickly. Mad for it, said he, with a mouthful of spangles. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that might be my reading resolution now. Wolf Hall, not as terrifying as we might think. <laughs> Uh, so, I guess last question: favorite book of this year? Oh, that's a tricky one. I just recently read um, Daisy Jones and the Six. Oh, I loved that book. So, 
so good. I just can't bear it because it's structural genius. And I think structure is so hard to get right when you're um, writing a book. And I thought it was amazing. Um, and also, did you have that thing when you read it as a writer where you're like, <sighs> why didn't I think of that? Yeah, I was Which like, Which is bitch. so annoying. Yeah, it's, such a, it's such a good it's really brilliant. premise. Um, and I just recently started reading Anita Bruckner. Um, I read Hotel du Lac, which I loved. I love Hotel du Lac. And then I read um, Look at Me. I so that one. one. Yeah, um, <laughs> so I loved that. Um, and, I was, and I also started reading Barbara Pym. Ah. Oh, which one? Um, excellent Women. Oh, very good. I love Barbara. She's like the original Lena Dunham, I think. Oh, I hate Lena Dunham. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but like, just that kind of like, you know, Brilliantly, sharply observed. It's a bit like Big Little Lies. Who's read the book? Which is also really brilliant structurally. Um, so it's that kind of idea of um, interviewing people, but this actually doesn't have any authorial voice, which is um, amazing because you get s swept into the whole um, 70s scene without, without um, feeling like she's missing a beat. And I was so jealous when I was reading it because it almost reads like you're reading the transcript of a documentary. Mm. And the bit, now that I'm writing fiction, the bit that I find so difficult and laborious and I'm so bad at doing, to the point where I often just leave out chunks like a collage and just go back to it at the end, um, is the bit where you're kind of moving people around and when you're... Getting them out of the room. Getting oh, them out of the room. Taking days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting yeah. to moving go to the... across a room. Yes, okay. yes. Going to a different room, going to the fridge, making a cup of tea. And I think the thing that I love... I also do screenwriting, and the thing that I love about screenwriting is... You just—you don't have to describe anything exactly. You just—it's people saying funny things and interesting characters and things developing, and all that kind of moving around and description. You know, you just—I remember writing a script recently where I was writing a man. I was introducing a man, and normally in fiction that would be like if it was a leading character that would be like a couple of pages for me because I overwrite so much. But I literally just wrote Greg, forty-four, has a no man-made fibers, natural deodorant sort of a vibe. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I needed to write about Greg. Um, so, yeah, that's why I got really jealous when I was reading Daisy Jones and the Six. Alyssa, do you have any favourite My favourite book this year, year. Um, I, I read almost as much non-fiction as I read fiction, so I've chosen a non-fiction book, and it's the book I've thought about all year, and it's just uh, joyous. It's called Waterlog by Roger Deakin. And he, uh, yes, and he was, a, he was a, a, a joyful swimmer, and he was a naturalist as well, and he lived in Norfolk Farm, which had its own moat, which was just a big sort of, you know, na a pool dug in the 17th century. And he, he would swim up and down every day. And he decided to sort of swim the UK. And Roger was so tough. Roger would plunge into anything. And he starts by, by swimming around the Channel Islands. And then if Roger sees a pool, he gets in it. So he'll be on Dartmoor, he'll swim somewhere, he'll swim down a chalk stream, he'll, he'll swim, you know, in, in, a, in a lime street, lime... What's, what are the words? Limestone sort of streams oh, quarry. He, and quarries. He'll he'll swim anywhere, and it's full of the absolute joy of swimming. Um, it's really interesting as well because it's, you know, it's the, one of these early psychogeography books. So it, it tells you a lot about the country. It tells you a lot about him, um, but mainly it's about the joy of of, of swimming outdoors and it's just gorgeous and he's funny and he's interesting and I can't recommend it highly enough classic bedside book I am sold Dolly what is your book of the year I think that I'll choose non-fiction as well I think mine is My Name is Why by Lem Sisse um, which is an unbelievably moving book and 
um, has kind of stuck with me for still sort of I think about all the time and I read it months ago and it's a memoir that he wrote um, about his about his kind of mistreatment by the authorities with his adoption <coughs> with his adoption when he was very young and the thing that makes it really really powerful is not only he kind of punctuates it with his beautiful poetry that relates to these like very cruel and unbearable circumstances um, of abuse and abandonment that he finds himself in but he also uses as kind of breaks between chapters um, documentation of social workers and authorities and all the various um, institutions that he was passed around in all these official documents um, where he's being observed as a young boy and a teenager and he kind of uh, reacts and responds and comments on them with his version which is the truth um, and he only got his hands on that documentation very recently after like 20 years of trying to find out the truth of why um, his mother gave him up for adoption, which he ultimately found out was against her will. So it's not a light read. I found it very traumatic, but it is totally beautiful. And there's a poem in it that I still think about all the time, which is about the four lines, which is... Um, I actually can't remember. It is, I was about to be seriously impressed. It was, I will build an embassy in your heart over time. There is a plot of land inside me, build one in mine. Very sweet, very serious note to end on. Sorry. And I've asked you this impossible <laughs> question because I don't think I could pick my book, which is mean of me to put you in this book, but a writer that people have told me to read for a long time. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll get around to it. And then have discovered this year and thought, oh, why, why has it taken me so long? I read um, the short stories of uh, Lucia Berlin. And oh, I haven't read Lucia Berlin. They are astonishing. And it's this sort of mix of writing that is at times bordering on the poetic, but also very like vivid and sharp. And she had the most extraordinary life. And I think the stories are semi-autobiographical so she was I believe um, from a very grand family um, in South America and then she ended up in the United States in sort of strange circumstances she had a long and difficult history with addiction and drugs and alcohol she was romantically involved with a lot of addicts and had a family and their relationships were sort of chaotic although I think she had two sons who remained very close to her, and her youngest son wrote the introduction for um, the new collection of stories. One is called A Manual for Cleaning Women, and I cannot remember what the other newer one is, but it's, it's very, very good. But it's, it's really, really vivid, because I get quite grumpy. If someone's describing a tree for two pages, I think, anyone, anyone can do, anyone knows different ways of describing a leaf. But she really is, you know, the sand and the the sky and the desert and the, the scent of her as well, the scent of her, her world. Well, I want to say the hugest thank you to my fabulous, fabulous festive panellists, Dolly, Aisha and Lisa. Can we have a huge round of applause, please? I also need to say an enormous thank you to everybody at Albright, uh, to the tape agency, um, and to everyone who supported the podcast in the last year. We're only a year old, and it's been such a fun year. Um, we've just recorded our 
US, I was going to say US America series, a your booked America series. There's a tautology for you. So that will be coming to your ears in the new year. And this is going up plus another Christmas surprise. If you don't know the podcast, you're here for the first time, it's called Your Booked. Again, it's us going to authors' houses. We've got really episodes I adore that are up with um, Dolly and Aisha, which you can listen to in our back catalogue and Lissa's episode is coming up in the new year and it's great and finally I want to say the biggest thank you to producer Dale who hasn't just been doing the sound today but is <laughs> one of my favourite humans and writers and everyone here has a fabulous book and um, please go out and buy give it as a gift everything I know about love by Dolly published by Fig Tree um, Aisha's many books are fabulous. This Green and Pleasant Land is one of my favourites this year. And that is published by Bonnier and Lissa, Old Baggage, and also really beautiful children's books. I think children, it's very hard to buy books for them. And children will find them very, very funny, as will you. Um, and producer Dale's excellent new book, Painfully British Haikus, published by Michael Joseph, which is a must for all of your awkward relatives. <laughs> I, I co-signed that. I was reading it this weekend. Um, and I have been Daisy Buchanan. And thank you so much for coming and getting Christmassy with us all. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.